Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with myself about Joshua Stoddard, my friend and music collaborator who died December 7th, 2021. So I'll be sharing some memories of him, little how we met, um, what it was like working with him, um, just a very personal entry into the the biography that will be much, much bigger um, of Joshua Stoddard, told by the thousands, I'm guessing, of people that he touched um, with his music and his goofy, wonderful, sweet physical presence. So here we go. All right, so I've never done this type of podcast before where it's been just me, but, um, and I think I really didn't feel like I was worthy of doing an entire podcast about Joshua Stoddard being that I've only known him for a few years and he lived 41, I think. So I asked um, some other people and I didn't get any bites, but you know what I realized? my experience of him is just as valid as anyone's and I wanted to share um I wanted to share with you my experience of Joshua it's funny because I call him Joshua he introduced himself to me as Joshua so that's always what I've called him I notice a lot of his friends and his sister um call him Josh uh which is cool too the reason that I call him Joshua is that, um, like I said, he introduced himself as Joshua. And actually the first time I quote unquote met him was through his music and he goes by Joshua Stoddard on his album cover. So that's kind of what I have always thought of him as. And also because of this cute thing that he would do in storytelling when he would talk about his inner child and he would refer to himself or his inner child as little Joshua. So. Anyway, that's why I'm going to be referring to him as Joshua and not Josh, because that's what I'm used to. So the way that I met Joshua Stoddard, and by the way, um, I don't want to assume that everybody knows who I'm talking about. (laughs) I just realized. So let me pull up um, just his uh, memorial um, data so that I can accurate about this but Joshua died on December 7th of uh, 2021 and I can pull up his birthday here um and it really really like I cannot express enough this is not going to be an exhaustive you know reporting on Joshua this is just my experience of him to add to the catalog of beautiful stories that people will share about him because he was such a gloriously beautiful soul. I mean, really, like, um, I've only had two people in my life um, die, which I guess is kind of weird. I don't, I don't know if um, I know people who have experienced a lot more death than I have. I certainly feel like I haven't experienced very much, um, not that I'm asking for more, but um, both were 
my contemporaries and both were just these like super sweet souls that, you know, the earth, it felt like the earth needed. And um, I think that that kind of makes it sadder. <laughs> but um, I, I was just about, I thought I could pull up his birthday, but uh, maybe I'll put that in the uh, maybe I'll put that in the notes anyway, if I can't pull up, but yeah. So the way that I met, um, Joshua, so he was born in 1980. Okay. Um, the way that I met him was through his music. So he, he went through a period of his life, I guess, where he was, uh, living in a van traveling and he would go all over, um, the United States, I think maybe even Canada, doing sound baths for people where he would set up his pedals and his guitar. And I got to experience one of these sound baths later, but um, my ex-husband, my husband at the time, would, uh, in, would invite him to the yoga studio that was part of our community in Phoenix called Yoga Phoenix. And he, um, he would set up sound for Joshua or at least open the door for him. Joshua probably did his own sound. Um, and, you know, just like make sure that everything was, was okay and, and running and then, you know, take tickets or do the reception for him or, or be in charge of somebody else doing reception for him. So um, Joshua ended up giving him a CD as a thank you. And my ex-husband came, who was my husband at the time, you know, came to me and was like, there's this guy that came and I think you would really like his music. I think you guys would like, would collab well together. And so I was driving to, I didn't have a ton of time to listen to like very quiet music because really Joshua's music demanded, not demanded, I don't want to say that because it was very gentle, but it was like, you wanted to be immersed in it. You wanted to have time to really soak it in. So I didn't want to just play it like as background music while I did dishes. Um, so I was driving to Shakti Fest, I think that year I was going to perform. And I decided to bring his CD along and my minivan had a CD player at the time. Um, so, so I listened to it and I found myself vocalizing with it. Um, there were, I don't think there were vocals on it. There might've been, he does do some vocalizing. Maybe that's why I vocalized over it. You know what? I really don't remember, but it was his album one and two. And I just like had this inspiration to email him and find out if he would ever be interested in doing some collaboration. And he was really excited about that prospect. So we ended up talking on the phone and um, I remember, I don't remember exactly what our conversation was, but one thing that stood out about it to me, um, which, which I, I just get a kick out of, was that I asked him, I was like, so what, you know, cause like, I'm thinking, okay, he knows that I'm a mantra artist, right? At that time, that's solely what I was doing. Um, so what mantras would you want to, would you want to do? And he's like, you know, I really don't like mantras. <laughs> and, um, and it wasn't that he didn't like um, actual mantras, but it was that he didn't like kind of, um, I don't know, doing, he didn't want to inadvertently scare somebody that was listening to his music. He wanted it to be very straightforward and 
you know, very easy to assimilate. And he felt like when you used words in other languages like that, that it could be a little bit, you know, sneaky. And he didn't want to do that to his, to his audience, I guess. And I'm totally paraphrasing. Sorry if I'm not getting this completely right, but that's what I remember. And I just remember thinking, okay, sure. Well, there's plenty of stuff we can do in English. Okay. But the irony of that actually was that we ended up doing one, you know, song on our, on the album that we ended up creating, which I'll get into because there's a cute story about how we came up with the title for that, <clears throat> but it ended up being called for Pamela. And um, initially it was Joshua Stoddard and Sirgan Kaur. And then I asked him to change, um, to change my name on it. Cause I, I went through a, a name change in my artist name from Sirgan Kaur to Porter Singer two years ago. I think I did it. Maybe it was even just last year. It was a big deal, but um, I remember getting this idea that like I could, uh, excuse me, I could change my name on uh, some of my already established music and that would hopefully send people towards my, my new name. And what was cool about it is that he didn't like the cover for our album, I guess, when it came out and he'd wanted to change it. So he was like, great, we'll change your name and we'll also change the cover because <laughs> I haven't liked it. So he wanted to change the cover, but I'll get back into that because the, his, his like uh, preferences were, were always really um, cool to me. I, I thought, um, I thought the fact that he had so many like specific preferences was really interesting because I'm, I guess like, because I'm in the spiritual community or I've been in a spiritual community for so long, you kind of encounter both, you know, both things where like some people are like, oh, let's just let it flow and we'll see what happens. And then other people are like very specific about what they want. And I think I used to feel like if people were really specific about what they wanted, that they weren't being super spiritual, um, which I don't, I don't see it that way at all anymore. I feel like it's very good to have boundaries and to know what you want. And Joshua definitely did. He definitely knew what he wanted and um, what he wanted it to sound like and what he wanted it to look like, at least in my experience with him. So, so anyway, fast forward to the next time that he came into town to do a sound bath and he came, shows up in his van. And I remember uh, meeting him for the first time. He was super tall, um, bald head, uh, which I know is like kind of his second or, you know, third or fourth, I don't know, incarnation, because I've seen photos of him with this like really um, cool, curly, blonde hair, you know, but he, but at the time that I met him, he was bald and kind of monk looking. And um, he came by our house, I think before, yeah, it was before his sound bath to record some of the viola, well, all of the viola that uh, my friend Candace Calms um, did. So we did that at my home studio. And this was after I had recorded a few of the vocals for the album. But I think what was, so what was cute about the fact that he didn't want to do something in another language was that I ended up being inspired to sing all these songs in French to do these lullabies. But I think because they were like kind of a standard, you know, like, like a lullaby is kind of standard. It's not, I don't know, maybe as weird as, as a mantra in Sanskrit or, or whatnot, um, that he, he didn't have a problem with the French. So I thought that ended up being pretty cool. Um, and, and I thought it, it was 
really lovely. I really, really love that album. Um, I really love Candace's viola on it. I love what he did with it. I love uh, the people that he got involved in it to mix it and make it sound so like wonderfully etheric. You know, it's a very simply recorded album, but the skill that was involved in making it sound the way that it did was pretty epic. And um, I don't think I realized at the time just how kind of genius um, Joshua was at at doing the sound thing. I think I noticed that more as I listened to all of his recordings from um, from last year and just kind of looking back, I don't know, I think it's easy to sort of take the people in your life or what they do kind of for granted at face value, right? And what he did was really, was really unique. And I think that the fact that it did seem sort of, I don't, I don't want to say normal. It's like, it felt familiar. It felt so familiar that it was almost easy to not notice how genius it was but it wasn't familiar i don't i don't know of a lot of music that sounds quite like that and that i feel the the same way about it was it was a very special kind of music to sing over um something really cool about about his process too is that he would record he wanted to record everything in c the key of C because he, from his research, I guess he um, had discovered that that's a very soothing sound. So he wanted to do everything in C. So everything that we did was in C. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I don't remember if it was in standard tuning or if it was in 432. Gosh, I don't remember. But anyway, soothing key of C. So he came over to our house after he'd set up for his sound bath at Yoga Phoenix. And gosh, I'm trying to remember what year this was because we did for Pamela. Um, let's see. We did it for Mother's Day. We wanted it to come out on Mother's Day 2019. So we must have started it in 2018. Um, so when he came over, I think it was 2018 or the beginning of 2019. So that's when I met him the first time. And um, it was really, it was really easy to record with him. It was really easy to talk to him. We had so many similar interests. He was, I was really into Abraham Hicks at the time, and he was super into Wayne Dyer. And so we had some cool conversations about that. I thought it was really cool. He was into Wayne Dyer because he kind of looks like Wayne Dyer. Um, and yeah, we just, we recorded the viola and then he, he invited me to come sit in on his sound bath and sing at the end. So the format was sort of like, he played a, you know, we got to lay out and just absorb the music that he was creating. And then at the end, there was an invitation to vocalize. And so I went up and got on a mic and we did some pretty, you know, uh, toning which was super fun. I'd never actually done anything like that before, but then, but, but then like, it's so weird because it felt, it felt so familiar. 
like I'd done it before, but I hadn't. Um, and so I kind of missed, I think I kind of missed how like unique and amazing it was because it just sort of felt like normal. I don't know if that, if that resonates or if that makes sense, but it, it just did. It just felt so familiar. Um, even though it was like such an unusual gift. So at the end of, oh, I missed the part where when he came, when he would come to Phoenix, I guess, or he'd go to any place, he would meet up with people that he, you know, that he knew. And he happened to have a childhood friend whose name I don't remember. Um, that was in Phoenix who came to the sound bath who was on the guest list. So at the, at the beginning of his sound bath, Joshua, I guess, always, he told me later, he always starts it by saying, hi, my name is Joshua and I love my mother. <laughs> and I remember he said, hi, I was Josh. I don't, I don't remember, but I, I just remember thinking that that was so sweet because he had told me the story of his mother's death, um, his mother's battle with breast cancer. Yeah. And then I had told him how my mom had, uh, I think at the time maybe even was battling breast cancer, but his mom didn't, didn't survive. So she, she died. She had died a few years back and he was still very much grieving her. And he talked really openly about that. And again, I haven't lost a lot of people in my life. So really this didn't I don't know. Grief, I guess, is not something that I have understood on the level that a lot of people do. And I think that that's um, important for me to acknowledge because as much as I can try to relate to what it's like to lose a parent based on the loss of my two friends that I've had, it's a very different, oh, actually, and, and my uncle, whom I loved very much, but it's a very different thing to lose somebody who's in your life on a daily basis than somebody whom you know you're going to get to see at, I don't know, like a family event or, you know, once in a while when you visit the town that they're in. I find actually with Joshua's death, it's very easy for me to just sort of imagine that he's just not here right now, you know, that he's... Um, just not calling. <laughs> and because I hadn't um, been in communication with him for a few months when I found out about his death. Oh, where are we going with this? Um, so anyway, oh, okay. I haven't even gotten to my point about, about the name. So his friend at the end of the, you know, at the end of the session, people are kind of waking up from there their restful slumbers and, you know, wiggling their fingers and toes and whatever, like we've been in a very long Shavasana. And his friends, like in response to what he said at the end of the beginning of the class is like, man, I miss Pamela. And, and I was like, Pamela, he goes, yeah, that's, that was my mom's name. I'm like, that's my mom's name. And then this other woman, and mind you, there's like eight people in this class. I mean, it's not a big, it was not a big attendance. It was very gentle, like lovely, <laughs> lovely attendance, but like not a huge crowd of people. She's like, my mom's name is Pamela. And I'm like, this is so weird, right? It's so weird that we have the same mom's name <laughs> and that they both battled breast cancer. It was just really beautiful. So 
we decided to name our album for Pamela, um, for his mother and for mine. And I guess he had been wanting to make something for his mother, but, you know, similarly to similar, slight similarity to me, I guess, you know, feeling like I'm worthy enough to do a podcast about my friend Joshua's daughter that I've only known for a few years, you know, when there's people who've known him his entire life. Um, you can kind of like talk yourself out of doing something that you really want because you just, you feel like it's just bigger than you're able to give to it, you know, and I can only imagine what it would be like to try and make an album for my deceased mother, um, given how much he loved her and how much of a hole, you know, was left in his heart or his life because of her passing. So this was like a really tender, you know, really tender album for him to make. And, and it meant a lot to him. And I don't think that that really sunk in for me, you know, at the time, honestly. Um, I think I was doing a lot of spiritual bypassing, a lot of like whitewashing positivity. Um, and I hope, I hope that it like didn't offend him. Um, I don't remember ever saying anything offensive or, or anything like that, but I just know from, I guess, responses that I've even gotten when I've told people that my friend committed suicide, um, and I'll get into that too, because I, I really don't feel like he meant to end his life. Um, but that people are, people will either, you know, show you how compassionate they are, or they will be afraid to show compassion because it might show that they bought into the illusion of death, you know, cause they're so uber spiritual. Um, and I feel like I did that. I did that a lot. And I apologize. I just officially apologize to anybody that I was not compassionate with who told me that they had some sort of tragedy or struggle because, um, you know, I took the higher, the quote unquote higher perspective and kind of, you know, spiritually bypassed it. I feel like that's not uncommon, um, especially among the yoga community and the sound healing community and all that. I feel like we don't, um, we go so far from the extreme of uh, not wanting to be a downer that we don't even acknowledge the very real things that happen in our, in our life, you know, death may be an illusion on the spiritual plane, you know, we might be eternal beings and, and all that. And I, I do believe that, but that doesn't take away from the fact that I'm living here, um, in a body <laughs> and I can't give my friend a hug anymore or call him on the phone. Like that's a very real missing thing. You know, um, just like, you know, the body may be an illusion <laughs> and um, I may, you know, um, be hungry for something, you know, say I want an apple. Um, I'm not going to convince myself that I'm so spiritual that I don't need to eat. You know, some people do. Um, but, but that's, 
that's real in my human existence, right? There's, there's reality in your human existence and negative emotions are a reality in your existence. Uncomfortability is a reality in our human existence. Death is a reality in our human existence. Who knows what happens afterwards? Um, and it still feels like, you know, the people that have died are with me. I, I don't feel like they're totally gone. Like they disappeared because I have all the memories and, you know, whatnot. And I'm talking about this way more than I would like to. I'll end this shortly because I want to get back to Joshua. Sorry. But, um, but yeah, I mean, these are, this is part of the human experience. Right. And I think that that's something that Joshua honestly, like understood deeply. I don't think he was, I don't think he was able to get past it. Honestly, I think it was such a deep, like heart, you know, concern because after his mom died, then his dad died, you know, and these were long, painful deaths. It wasn't like just, you know, happy, healthy death. Like they just like, they, they went along with a lot of medical struggle. And, you know, even from his perspective, he, or from his, you know, <clears throat> physical body, he was dealing with a lot of physical pain, a lot of back pain that he told me about. And he had to stop touring um, because of this. And we did two podcasts together. We did one called death and one called healing on, on this podcast, which are nice to listen to. I listened to them both um, right after I found out that he died just so I could hear his voice. And I like the first one better than the second one, because I feel like the first one, I let him talk a lot more. And the second one, I feel like I was sort of trying to justify um, a lot of things. Uh, I had just kind of left my Kundalini yoga. He asked me about the Kundalini yoga community or whatever. And anything I say about that in that podcast is, is <laughs> needs an update. <laughs> it's not true. Um, but I, yeah. So anyway, so there, you know, there was that, there was that beautiful moment where we decided we were going to name our album. And then I just remember really, um, being getting kind of a kick out of every like phase of, of the, the process with him. Um, like, uh, well, like, like, the, like I thought this was funny. Like he, he wanted to use the viola in more songs than she had actually recorded. Like he wanted to kind of reuse some of them. And he was, I think he was a little bit worried that they would, people would be like, oh, that was used again. And I was like, I don't think anybody's going to notice. And I don't think anybody has noticed because it was, they're like taking, you know, there's like these parts that are taken out of context or he made them, uh, he, he did them in reverse or something. Um, so I think he was pretty, he was able to coolly and creatively repurpose, he called it recycling, um, repurpose some of the viola tracks, which I thought was really cool. Um, and I liked that he was open to uh, using the French. That was really healing for me. That, that was really um, a big step for me. I'd never recorded in French and I had never 
really thought of French as a healing language. And here we were making this healing, <laughs> healing CD, this sound healing CD. And he later kind of changed his mind about using that word, but at the time he was still using that word. And it, it helped me, it helped me to be able to sing in that language. That language was the language of bullying and like a really dark time in my life. Um, so I, I haven't taught my kids French. I don't, you know, now I speak it more if I have the opportunity to, if I run into people, but really wasn't something that I prioritized or kind of wanted to go back to. So it was interesting that I decided to spontaneously um, use these, these lullaby lyrics um, in a super creative way. I was really happy with how they, they turned out because if you know the initial lullabies, they're not done you know, exactly uh, the way at all they were originally conceived. They're very much interpretive. And, you know, and he was cool with that. So I offered to do the album artwork for, for Pamela. And we had this really lovely woman come and take photos. And I can't remember how I met her. I wonder if, if he, he had introduced us or if I just found her on Instagram I don't really remember but anyway um, we ended up making a music video and doing some photo shoots and I thought the photos were really cute we looked really happy in them and, and whatever um, I don't but I don't think he liked I don't think he liked the photos I don't think he liked having something so um, recognizable on his album cover, like it was very much art bases, you know? So it was like, it was not abstract or, or whatever. And I think based on what he did for the second run of the cover, which was all like rainbow and blurry, um, I think he preferred to be a little bit more hidden in the music, which makes sense, I guess. Um, but anyway, I ended up doing the, the cover, you know, the cover art and he, we each wrote a little message to our mothers in it. Um, and I remember him being like very oddly specific about like the font size, font shape, um, like down to like exact positioning of where the title was. Like I wasn't seeing the, you know, where one of the letters should be on the page anyway so he he was like very um detail oriented when it came to that sort of stuff and I think that also had to do with the fact that this was an album for his mother and he wanted it to just be like perfect which was so sweet so we ended up releasing Navire he wanted to do Navire I wanted to release Ton Moulin I still think I'm right about that because it ended up getting more plays on Spotify <laughs> But he really wanted to release Navir as a as the single, and I wanted to release Tomuna, whatever you know. It was it, it was his project. Um, I mean, it was our project, but I felt more like it was you know me in his world as opposed to um, him in my world, obviously. So um, I was definitely going along for the ride with that. Um, so yeah, we we released that, and then. Um, we weren't able to get the CDs by Mother's Day, I don't think. 
I don't think we were able to get them exactly because they were because Mother's Day was the following year, Shakti Fest, which was kind of a sweet little turnaround because when I heard his music for the first time, I was headed out to Joshua Tree to Shakti Fest. And then we were one year later and we had we had the album almost. I don't think that it was I think it was available digitally, but maybe not. Um, I think that's what it was. We released it digitally, but our CDs didn't come for a couple couple weeks. Anyway, we got our shipment of CDs and he was still able to do a little bit of touring with them, I think. Um, but then he, he couldn't anymore. His back was hurting him so much and his dad was, his dad's health was failing. So he went to Florida to be with him. And if you want to hear that story, that is in the death podcast, I believe, maybe even in the healing one too. Um, yeah, and that, uh, oh, I just, I feel like I just didn't, I was telling his sister when I talked to her for the first time, um, like a week ago, because she told, ended up telling me about, you know, what happened and um, how he, how he died. And I didn't, I guess... I didn't realize how present his physical pain was. I thought when he was telling it, me about it on the podcast that he had gotten past it. And that may have been a factor of me not listening well enough or him talking about it in the past tense. But I really don't think that I understood the level, obviously, um, I don't think anybody did because I don't think anybody was expecting him <laughs> um, to, you know, take his life uh, in December. I think this was probably uni universally surprising. I, I don't know that anybody was going like, yeah, this is the next step for him. I mean, if I had, I would not have, um, I would have been on the phone with him. Um, but yeah, he, he was just such a playful, goofy guy that even when he told me, you know, that he was in immense pain, like I, it felt light. And I, I mean, maybe that's like naive and stupid. I don't know. Maybe, uh, it really does teach me a lot about my ability to, you know, listen for, for cues and, you know, my mom, my mom told me when I told her about this, she's because I was feeling so guilty that I could have done something. Um, she was like, you know, we, we all have that friend that, and I don't know if we all do, but she did. Um, we all have that friend that, you know, commits suicide and we feel like we could have done something. Um, but you'll know now what signs to look for. I was like, yeah, you know, that's true. I, I've never, <laughs> I've never thought about my friend's troubles as like um, cues for possible life-taking. I've never really thought about it that way. Um, but there are certain cues to take seriously. And I guess from this experience, I'm like holding a little on a little bit tighter to, you know, my friends that I feel like need a little bit of extra support and maybe even just people in general, like we're about to start this um, community for empaths 
that I'm a part of with five other women. And I just feel like these like circles where people can actually share what's going on and be heard are necessary. That's not to say that. I mean, what was really necessary, honestly, was mental health um, practitioners being available. That was something that really saddened me when his sister told me that he wasn't able to get any help. You know, he was looking for a psychiatrist. He was looking for somebody to uh, see him so he could talk and he couldn't find anybody. He it was like on wait lists and um, people couldn't get them into their offices for months and months. And when you're talking about mental health, especially knowing that somebody was about to take their life, like that's uh, so it, 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 <laughs> it hurts so badly to know that somebody that there would not be access like oh, and I don't know whether that's a factor of uh, I, I don't know I don't know enough about our, our medical health system honestly I've been fortunate enough to stay out of that system for a long time um but you know some people need it and <laughs> should have access should have access to mental health care practitioners to psychiatrists to to what they they need to stay alive right um i do believe that well i haven't kind of gone through the past year so when when I spoke to Joshua for that podcast and I was talking to him a little bit over the phone um, outside the podcast too, um, those were really long conversations for the podcast though. Uh, and so I, I don't know that I had another long conversation like that with him before he moved, but he decided to move from Portland. So I was, I had moved to Washington and I thought I would see him. Um, and I ended up going through Portland, trying to think when it was, but it was right before he moved. And, oh, it's just like one of those, one of those times, you know, where you decide not to see somebody because, I don't know, it was getting late or, you know, we had to get to our destination or whatever, but we ended up not, and maybe he didn't want to see us. I don't know. His sister told me that he was, he was like very fearful about, you know, uh, getting COVID. So it, that might have also been a product and maybe I'm not like a hundred percent to, to blame for our not meeting, but we did have the opportunity to see each other and we didn't. And then he ended up moving to Martha's Vineyard uh, to be with um, his friend and be kind of like his assistant. And we talked a lot while he was there, but he was different. He was really different. And my friend alluded to the fact that she thought he was on Prozac because um, he had mentioned it to her, but he never told me that. So I didn't want to bring it up with him because he seemed very fragile um, in the sense that like he would, he could have quickly made a decision not to want to talk to me because of something that I brought up. Like I really felt like, um, he, there were things that would trigger him, uh, 
and you know me bringing up mental health was something that I knew he didn't want to talk about because he was very upset about um, you know a call his sister had made to the police to get a well check and she was telling me about that but he was really concerning people you know he was doing these live streams like eating cereal and and that was the hard thing too you know when someone's an artist and they're super creative and super talented and goofy you know a part of me wanted to believe that he was just kind of exploring the limits of his absurdity or exploring the limits of his creativity and just like you know uh fuck it allness you know and and I don't think I really believed that but I wanted to you know I felt like I didn't know him well enough to push him to do anything. Um, I knew him well enough to listen. He would call me with like bunny ears on <laughs> and want FaceTime. Um, and he hadn't slept for three days. And, you know, he's like, I just released an album, you know, I just released a whole album or like six albums or, or you know, whatever it was. And I, you know, and then last week I was with Philip Glass's son and he just, he was like kind of reviewing his life, which he'd had a really cool life. I mean, he had like really cool stories, but he was sort of on life review, which in retrospect, I guess I also could have kind of seen as a sign, but I, I didn't, I just was sort of like taking a mental note, like, Hmm, that's weird. He's never really talked about his rock and roll days with me before, you know, he, he mostly kind of kept a present tense and like, um, what's going on now with his sound, uh, healing again, he, he stopped wanting to use that word because he felt like all music was healing. Um, but you know, that it was, a one of, one of many tools. Um, so yeah, I just, I remember just getting a lot of calls like that. Um, and that honestly didn't bother me. I thought that was sort of cute. I liked hearing from him. I, I don't know. I like hearing from people. Um, but what, what kind of got me to stop communicating with him, I guess, and it wasn't like a falling out or anything, but I just was sort of like, I uh, didn't really understand how to like where to go from there was we had a few conversations that were just a little weird about music. So we ended up recording, um, let's see, he sent me a few, a few tracts, a few tracks, and I don't have a lot of quiet in my house. Um, I have enough for this Zoom call, but there's talking going on behind me. And if I were recording vocals right now, you would be hearing that on the track. So it was not easy with me with the pandemic being newly divorced, not having really like anybody to take my kids away so that I could record um, to get some of these tracks done for him. And he never said like, you know, I need them by a certain time. But when I ended up getting the tracks back to him and I was super excited about what I'd come up with because I thought it was um, super creative and like nothing I'd, I'd ever really done before. So I, I mixed like the toning thing with like original lyrics and um, he was like, oh, you know, I already released that track. And my heart just sunk. I was like, well, why did you send it to me if you were just going to, you know, do it yourself? Um, 
which, you know, given his, his mental state, I can understand was like, not the right approach. Like I didn't realize that I had like kind of stability on my side or, you know, mental stability on my side. Maybe I don't, <laughs> Maybe that's an illusion, but I, I feel like at least I was in like a clearer place where I, I could have, you know, held a little bit better space if I had known what was really going on. But he was, he was just really frustrated with me. Like he, he wanted uh, me to be handing him tracks, you know, uh, sooner and, and whatever. Um, and that he kept talking about how he'd had this, that was the other thing that made it sort of confusing too, is that he kept talking about how he had this like enlightenment moment. You know, he was kind of equating his state of being with the drugs that he was taking as like an, an elevated you know, version of who he'd been. Like he was now not going to take crap from people and he wasn't going to um, allow himself to get into such pain that he was uh, prioritizing everybody else except for himself, which I think, you know, very healthy decisions. Like, again, so I, I felt like that was you know, great. Like you're moving in the right direction. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. You should have boundaries and you should, you know, um, not travel if your back is killing you and, um, you shouldn't be living your life for anybody but yourself. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was a weird, it was a weird collab thing but then what was really sweet about it was you know after I shared with him that like I was gutted that like he didn't now want these vocals that I had created because I was like I really like what I came up with he he called me back and was like oh my gosh this is so great I love this well why don't we just do a second version of it and I was like that sounds like a great idea you know so we'll call it something else um so I don't actually know what the first version of it is called but the the second one that we did together is called Crashing Waves. I think, I think it may have been on his LSME um, album, but I, I lost track a little bit. I wasn't listening to everything that he was creating in that time. And he also, oh God, he released this gorgeous album that he'd asked me to record just a couple of songs for. And th those are called the Melt Away Sessions. And I think that might even be like my favorite thing that he did. Um, yeah, I just, I, I use that for breath work all the time. It's such a gorgeous album, but he did that for a sound healing treatment at the Four Seasons in Michigan, I wanna say where he's from. Um, and basically this, uh, he got commissioned to do it. Um, and his sister told me that he had been commissioned to do something else right before he died, which is, which is sad. He just got in a big contract to do another similar type of thing. Um, so, so yeah, we did the, the crashing waves and then he, he wanted me to record on that only from the heart, um, which I thought was really cool. And then my boundary about that, cause he was sort of all over the place with how he wanted to structure these collaborations. Like he, I told him not to worry about paying me for the melt away sessions because I, I hadn't, um, I hadn't uh, worked anything out with him before that. So like, just, you know, whatever, whatever you make on that is yours. Um, but 
but for crashing waves, we were supposed to split it just like we did for four Pamela. And then for only from the heart, he came up with this idea where he wanted to have like a foundation or something and have the money go to that. And I was like, okay, I, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't make any sense to me, I guess. Um, so I was like, listen, that's fine. I just don't want to be a main artist on it if I'm not actually a main artist on it. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it wasn't, I guess it was, it was sort of silly in retrospect, but I think I was just a little bit tired of the like, I don't know, it seemed like sort of decisions made while high, um, which, you know, I'm, again, it's like if he hadn't, if he weren't dead, I feel like that would be um, fair to talk about, but knowing what his state, what his mental state was in that time, I feel like I wish I had known better, you know? Um, so what ended up happening, and, and I don't think I lost my temper or anything with him, but I think it was just a little awkward because I didn't really know where he was going with this. And then we had a few other like friendly chats where he would just call or I would call him. Um, and, you know, we just, we just chat about life and, and what was going on next. And the last I heard from him is that he was coming to Mount Rainier to stay in a cabin, which I guess he never did. He ended up going to North Carolina, I think, um, before he moved back home with his sister. And I'm actually really, it felt really good to hear from his sister, Carrie, that he was at her home at least. Um, when, you know, when, when he reached his, his, uh, final, you know, final breath, um, or, or with her, you know, uh, but the last thing that I heard from him were a couple of times, either an email or a text where he had told me he's going off the grid and that he only wanted me to contact him through voicemail or something. And then he left me permission to use all of his, this was also really strange. I, 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 like in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, this is something somebody who would not think they were gonna be around for a long might do. Um, but could have also been something that somebody who thought they were gonna go off the grid would do. So um, who wouldn't be back for a while, I guess. But he told me that I could use any of his music without crediting him, it's in an email somewhere, something like that. Um, but that I just had to change it significantly enough so that it wasn't recognizable, something like that. And then um, that he only wanted to be reached through voicemail. I was sort of like, okay, this is like, what? You, you wanna be reached? Like I can't tech, you know, it's, it, I don't know. Whenever somebody says like, the only way you can communicate with me is through <clears throat> pigeon carrier or carrier pigeon, or like, you know, I will only be taking phone calls or I will only be taking emails or I don't know. It just, it rubbed me, I guess, the wrong way, which again, in retrospect, it's like Porter, that's so stupid. You know, like who cares? He was going through a tough time and but I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know. 
that that would be my last opportunity. And so I guess part of this podcast is like, I don't know, part of it's beating up on myself, I guess. And part of it is giving myself a break. And part of it is, I guess, giving anybody else a break that had any insight into what was going on with him. Um, This is sort of a crazy share, but I'm going to share it anyway, because it just came into my mind. But when, when I told my friend Candace, no, sorry, Candace told me, um, the, the violist who played on for Pamela, she told me that he had died and it was two days before Christmas. It was like Christmas Eve, Eve. And he had died on December 7th, which is my Pamela, my mom's birthday. (laughs) Um, and, uh, so she had, she had sent me in, in like, a, you know, I'm in tears kind of message. And I was like, oh my God, like what? And I knew immediately, I knew immediately that it was uh, an accident. Like I knew, I knew that it, it wasn't like a medical thing or, you know, I, I felt like he'd probably, I thought maybe he had overdosed by accident. I don't feel like he, or, well, I'll share what, what she shared anyway. Candace is like a, an intuitive and I consult with her on, on certain topics because I trust her, her clairvoyancy, which I don't think she would describe it that way. She's like clear audience, I guess. But um, she said that he, that he sat with her for a few days that he, he was in kind of this limbo, this limbo period, and that he wanted her to let me know that, um, like, she apparently he was just like, call Porter, call Porter, call Porter, um, but that he wanted me to know that we were not done making music together, and that, um, oh, sorry, uh, and that he didn't mean to take his life, which I thought was interesting. Um, that he didn't, he wasn't in his, you know, he, when it did happen, when he actually was dead and he felt, you know, himself in like this other energetic plane, he was very confused because he didn't know what he had done. Um, and I don't know, I... I, I'm inclined, I'm inclined to want to believe that. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that. My Candace's friend, Rebecca, um, talks about how she knows she's, I guess she deals in that space a lot where she, um, talks with people who have had people communicate or people, uh, commit suicide or, you know, their loved ones have or whatever. And so she's, she feels into that space a lot. And she said, excuse me, I'm going to blow my nose, pause this for a second. Hold on. Okay. Back. Um, that no one who quote unquote commits suicide really needs to end their life. Um, I don't know if you feel like that's a controversial statement. That, that feels very resonant to me. It feels like people who are wanting to end 
their quote unquote their life are actually trying to end their pain. And they are so uh, focused on ending the pain that the idea that it will also end their life is not, it's not registering as coherently as it would if they were in a better space, right? So I don't, I, you know, it, I want to believe that. I, I, I guess it doesn't really matter. I'm not mad at, I'm, I wouldn't be mad at him if he meant to do it either, but um, that is what he told Candace and what Candace told me uh, from the beyond. And, uh, you know, he just basically told her, he said, I really don't like that people think that I committed suicide because I didn't mean to, I wasn't meaning to do that. Um, the other thing that I thought was funny is, you know, I was talking about, I was like, I'm so sorry that I didn't reach out more or that I didn't realize like that that was going to be my last opportunity to reach out. And he said, well, nobody did. This is from her. Again, I'm getting, <laughs> sorry if I've lost you. <laughs> I've lost you listener because I'm talking about what Joshua said from the beyond, but I don't know. I think these things, I think these things do help. And um, like I said, I, I trust Candace. So um, for me, it rings true. And I totally get if this is like weird and you want to skip ahead. But um, one of the other things uh, I had, I had asked her to ask him was basically like, you know, um, uh, oh, I can't remember, but I said, okay, I said, you know, I didn't realize this was my last time. Oh, oh, and I said, you know, I, it was just so frustrating talking to you that last year because you felt so different. Like you felt like a different person. He was like, don't remember me that way. Remember me the way that I was. That's how I really was. Um, and I feel like, I feel like that's kind of what Carrie, his sister reiterated to me too, was like, that just wasn't him. You know, um, there were glimpses of him, you know, but, um, he was just in so much pain and grieving so much. That's one of the things Candace said too, is that she helped, felt like she was helping him process so that he could kind of go through this life review process to, you know, ascend wherever he was going <clears throat> to meet his mom <laughs> and his dad, maybe. And that uh, she felt the most enormous amount of grief and physical pain that she'd ever experienced in her life. And if that was what he was going through, it does make so much sense that he would want to end it. Um, I can't really speak to the perspective that people have about, you know, suicide being kind of selfish. I, I've never felt that way because I felt like if somebody was in that much pain, then how they feel matters and <laughs> how you feel about it doesn't as much. Um, but I, I get that it, you know, it leaves, it leaves people feeling, feeling kind of guilty and wondering what they could have done, but I don't think it's hard to know what to do unless you knew that that was going to be the outcome. 
you know. Anyway, um, I'm sure I left some things out. I'm sure I will think about other things to say about Joshua, but for now, I think I am complete. And I thank you for allowing me to chat with you about this beautiful soul that came through my life, who I feel very blessed to have been able to create music with and to know as a human being. And yeah, all right. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing on the platform of your choosing and leaving us a comment. This helps considerably for all the algorithms to figure out just how valuable it is. Thank you for participating. To keep in touch with me and receive updates, please sign up for my newsletter at portersinger.com. You'll get a free download, updates on my self-healing sound courses, workshops, and other community building events that I'm creating. Have a beautiful day.